Yeah, it was wonderful the last couple of days. This weekend is just fantastic to um, do all the things that Daniel talked about, giving gifts and providing for that. Uh, we just slide it ahead just a bit. Uh, one in particular, you might see it on our social media, is uh, we had, through a partnership with uh, Surrey Pretrial, which is just uh, nearby over here, uh, yeah, we have somebody who works there so well. Um, but what was really cool about it is uh, we have some volunteers who regularly go there and connected with some of the inmates there who uh, were able to or wanted to give back in some way. And so what they did is that they made these, they're made of fleece material, basically like big fleece quilts, uh, because many of them have been through difficult situations and know the value of a warm blanket and wanted to give back in some way. So every hamper that we gave yesterday had a fleece made by people who, who the Bible says we're supposed to love. Yeah. yeah. Uh, life is hard enough without having somebody pointing a finger at you, right? Amen? So it was wonderful to wrap those all up, and then we had some, uh, somebody else had knit or crocheted some, uh, what do you call those, uh, washcloths, dishcloths, and we put those in as well, and so there was a handmade aspect to that. Uh, so I was looking at it yesterday with the partners, uh, we partnered with the Surrey Schools to uh, our adoptive school, we partnered with City Dream Center uh, with some of our hampers, where many of the people that we buy stuff throughout the year, suppliers uh, for uh, the campus have given finances that. We had people who uh, Paul Miller put on a pickleball tournament in here in uh, earlier, I think in November, and they raised $3,500. So everybody did a little bit, and together it was a big amount of things. Um, so wonderful, wonderful. And uh, that's not my water, is it? Is someone trying to play with me? Like, I'm like uh, Mr. Germaphobe, and I would have probably drank that. So, and somebody is in the back laughing their head off, like... Throw this stuff off here. <laughs> Don't play like that with Pastor. Gee, come on. Come on. My goodness. You can repent after. There's going to be an altar call at the end for whoever that was. Jeez. Okay. Before we get into some serious stuff. How did the ornament get addicted to Christmas? He was hooked on the tree his whole life. It's pretty good. Pastor Alex, you should write these ones down somewhere. Come on. Why was Santa's little helper depressed? Some of you will figure it out. Because he had very low elf esteem. Mm -hmm. Jordan, that laugh in particular, bro. You, you are helping me out this morning. You can do that again. One more. Because what do you call a broke Santa Claus? Think of it. Think of it. Saint Nicholas. It's not so bad. Oh, it's so bad. And you're all like laughing because it's a high level of humor. You know what it is. But anything else I got it? Oh, yeah. Daniel already touched on it, but uh, Christmas Eve, four, three services, four. 5.30, 7. The 30 is in the middle, so 4, 5.30, 7. 
uh, come one, come all, bring somebody, invite somebody. Uh, it's, it really is seriously the, the, the most optimum time to invite someone to church. There's actually three uh, throughout the year, uh, Christmas, then Easter, and then Mother's Day is almost overtaking Easter. We all know why that is, because when your mom says, come to church, you come. That's just the way it is. That is the way it is. So um, please do be prayerfully thinking of that. And if you're visiting or if you're new this morning, uh, you can invite somebody too. You, like you might have came here this morning and said, I'm coming. I'll come again. Invite somebody. You're allowed to. Uh, when we were packing hampers yesterday, it was wonderful that someone said, I invited someone to Christmas Eve service, and I don't know that I've ever done that. Awesome. So good. Some of you maybe have never done that before. This is your year. There was less amens to that, weren't there? I see you. This is your year. Yeah, come on. Turn to somebody and say, it's our year. We're going to ask somebody. We're going to invite somebody. Come on. Well, one of the, in the last few weeks, our uh, extended family has been talking about uh, some of my grandmother who passed away, some of her favorite recipes, because a big part of Christmas is, is food. It really is. Uh, if you're really going to celebrate Christmas, it's important that you have food. There are some foods that somehow uh, we eat only at that time of year. Like, hello, Brussels sprouts, where are you? Like, we don't see you any other time, and you come at two holidays to ruin them. Like, nobody in the, like, you're, you're planning to go camping, like, people are, nobody says, make sure you bring some Brussels sprouts. It doesn't happen. But Christmas, we're going to celebrate, bring all the Brussels sprouts, because nobody can say no at Christmas. We think, oh, we got to have something good, like, what is that? The stuff that, that's like a gas bomb. Let's just have some of those. In fact, if you have to wrap something in bacon and garlic to make yourself able to eat it, there's probably something wrong with it right there. Some of you I know love them, but uh, come on. Come on, not really, not really. So food is really good at Christmas. My, my grandmother uh, had two, two kind of foods that I really liked, that, particularly at holidays, because probably that's only when I saw her. Uh, but one was her uh, butter tarts. Butter tarts are really, really good. My grandmother made really good butter tarts. I, in particular, like them because they have that old man food in them, raisins, that go in there, like rum and raisin ice cream, which only people who are really highbrow people eat rum and raisin ice cream, like me. And so these uh, butter tarts, and we thankfully, we got the recipe for my grandmother's butter tarts, and I'm going to be making them, and I'm putting raisins in them. If you don't like them, well, I'm not going to bring enough for everybody anyway, but there is that. And then another one that, that she also made was fudge. And a lot of people love fudge. It's so sweet. It's not my favorite. But how many of you have a favorite food at Christmas time? How many of you was Brussels sprouts? And I messed you up this morning. We're going to pray for you at the end as well. The water bottle guy and the Brussels sprouts people. We're going to have a prayer line right now. It's happening. I think the water bottle guy can help you wash down the Brussels sprouts. Maybe that's it. I should start preaching at some point. Okay. <laughs> Shanda, you want to come help me here in a moment? So in the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, how Christmas and using the analogy of a table. Uh, because a table, like we just talked about, you can hold those there. This is going to be fun again to put this and see, see if we're still talking by the end. Um, but Christmas representing, I think that goes on after, right? You don't put it, yeah. 
This is like trying to, when we try and make the bed, it's like, oh. At night, hey. What'd you go there for? Is it even? How many else of you will not be able to pay attention if this is not right? Okay. It looks lower at this end or higher. Does it go up? Ben, help me out. I trust you, Ben. Does it need to go up or down on that end? Down on Auntie's end? Okay. Okay. What about this way? Down in the front, the whole thing? Okay. I wasn't even actually moving it. I was stretching. Sheesh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, don't light them. <laughs> Something bad will happen. <laughs> I just... Okay, we're going to put this one. I know it's not even. We're just going to have to do something different because if that's in my eyes, it's bad. There. Therapy is happening for me too, so don't worry. It's all right. But it's, <laughs> all for your entertainment. Come on. I knew what I was doing. Come on. Not at all. <laughs> We're talking about Christmas. I'm still remembering the joke that broke Santa Claus, St. Nicholas. Because we've been talking about Christmas, we've been using this analogy of a table. Because a table really is the heart of a home. It's a place where you connect. It's a place where you uh, find space to have community. It's a space where you have relationship. And, it, and really, in, in a figurative way, is it kind of can represent home and coming home. Uh, it's probably something we need more of, and yet somehow in our culture we do less of than ever before. Uh, because of smart devices and busy schedules and all that kind of stuff. But the table representing Christmas, because Christmas is the time that we remember when Jesus came to reconcile us to God, to bring us and enable us to, be, to come back home, to come to the table. The table representing all that God has for us uh, through Jesus, reconciliation, family, community, life, love, relationship, all that God uh, brings back to us. The, the, because in the moment of, of that seeming loss of connection, when the first man and the first woman sinned and, and broke relationship with God, God, even in that moment, and, and the Bible talks about this, while we were yet sinners, while we blew it, Christ died for us. But all before all of that, in the moment of 
brokenness, God made a way and said, I'm sending a Savior called Jesus, and he's going to make a way back to the table, back home for you. And since that time, people were waiting and waiting. And then all throughout history, God began to speak into various times where he talked about Jesus returning and the table being made available to us and being able to come back. And there was a prophet who prophesied. He said, there will be a young woman who will conceive, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call his name Jesus, and talked to, gave him these titles of Emmanuel, God with us, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor. He is coming to restore you to the table, to restore you back home. And if you want to listen to some of the other uh, messages on this, we, we began uh, a couple of weeks ago at horizonfam.ca. You can do that there. But all of creation longed for the moment when we could come home. And that's what Christmas is all about, is coming home, coming back to the table, coming back to the place of reconciliation, coming back to the Father's house and the Father's table. Because at the table, when you're welcomed at the table, it, sim it symbolizes you belong, that there's a place for you. You don't have to hide. You don't have to sit outside. And, and that's what Christmas is all about, is God making a way for people who felt there was no way. God opening doors for people who felt that they were closed. God healing re re and restoring relationship that felt like there was no possible way to do it. That's what Christmas is about. That's what this table is meant to represent for each of us today. And uh, Jesus is the one that enabled the table, us to be restored to the table. It's the good news of the gospel. We're going to look in uh, Luke chapter 1 here in a moment. Uh, it's, Luke is one of the followers of Jesus who wrote a, a gospel. It's called, it's a, a record a, of, of what Jesus coming. And Luke uh, was, an eye, was a doctor. I was going to say he was an eye doctor. He was a doctor who uh, wrote about in very detailed uh, form about what Jesus did. And it took various uh, accounts and put them together. And here it was. And here in verse 25, he says in chapter 2, actually not chapter 1, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. And just before I go into that, uh, this is just actually just eight days after Jesus had been born. And after you were born, little Jewish children, because uh, despite what some people might say, Jesus was a little brown Jewish boy uh, born in the Middle East. And here he was, and eight days later, he was going to the temple for some religious ceremonies and was being brought there. And so they were bringing him into the temple. And, and then we pick up the story there, just eight days after he was born. And there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. The light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what uh, was said about him. It says that Simeon was waiting. Everybody say waiting. Okay, then we go on to... Another, lady, uh, another person in this story called Anna. There was also a prophet or a prophetess, Anna, because God uses women, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Everybody say very old. Very old. Don't look at someone when you say that. That's kind of bad. 
She had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, that's Jesus, to all who were looking forward. Someone say looking forward. How many of you are looking forward? Looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful for this season that reminds us of your goodness, that reminds us of your love, that reminds us that you made a way, that where there seemed to be no way. Thank you that you're here. Let us hear in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my earliest memories of Christmas was we would go to my grandmother's house nearly every Christmas on my mother's side. I'd travel to Alberta from the, we lived in the interior of BC and we would, my dad typically would get home, some days he would we'd get home on the Friday or whatever, get home and we would jump in the car. My mom would have had uh, our clothes in uh, little baskets and garbage bags and all kinds of stuff and throwing them in the car and, and uh, we would get in the car and drive and we're driving through the night and we'd stop in Revelstoke. Anybody know where Revelstoke is? Revelstoke, we would stop there and uh, we would stop at the A&W because we were in the big city now. We were going out for lunch. Dinner, actually, but anyway. And they had at that time, this was when root beer was root beer, a big glass bottle. We'd get that big glass bottle and get some cups and, and have our uh, fries and, and, and burger. This is about the only time that, that you, we would go out. Uh, when you have six kids and five of them are boys, you don't go out anywhere very often. Mostly my older brothers, of course, but, but we would travel and travel and travel, and finally we get to my grandmother's, and at this point, she was living in a little town called Alliance, which was east of Edmonton, a uh, little small little town, and all the cousins would come. At that time, there was probably 15 or 18 of us, plus the aunts and uncles and everything. It was chaos, and, and we were, I, I was probably at this time probably uh, four years old or five years old and had uh, my younger brother, who was around three, and then cousins about an equal age as my two boy cousins that were of the equal age. And my grandma had the room in the front of the house just off the porch. And we slept in that, not one, not two, not three, but four little boys in that bed. And for some reason, we got out of hand. I don't know how. Stick four boys under five in the same bed. I can't figure out what's going on. And we were, it was chaos. And we were yelling and screaming and doing all this stuff. And, and, and finally, my grand, my, one of my uncle, the one I was the most afraid of, the one who can just look at you and you're like, just like scare you. Anybody have an uncle like that? Like, you're not sure if he's, he's going to out to get you, like going to smother you in the night or something. Like, not really. I'm kidding. Just like, I'm kidding. But he opened the door, and, and they were, I, those were his two boys in there, so I thought he might kill them first before us. But I'm, I'm just kidding, like, everybody relax. And so they were there, Cameron and Reggie, and then Tom and I were on this end and kicking each other and everything. He said, listen here. And, I mean, we were like, we're going to Jesus today. We are not. And he says, if you don't get to sleep by midnight, Santa will not come. And we looked at each other, and it got dead quiet. And we just like went to sleep, eyes open for like two. Because I was waiting for him to come <laughs> through the door again. Went to sleep, 
got up the next day, and, and that was one of my highlight Christmases because I got tabletop hockey, like with the pulley things on them. It wasn't just me. I think our whole family got it, but I thought it was mine. And so we were playing, and it had the, like the globey thing over top of it, so it looked like a real rink. And you could hear Foster Hewitt say, singing or you know, doing play-by-play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Because that day, there was only like Toronto and Montreal. And if you weren't one or the other, your parents, one side of your family would disown you. And so we were playing it and playing back and forth. And it was so exciting. And because when you're little, that, that's like Christmas really is. You're just like full of wonder. You can't wait to get up in the morning. And then after a while, you're like, no, I'm not getting up in the morning. I'll get up when I get up. And that happened in our own house and our, when our kids were small. Like it'd be like three of them coming into our room, bouncing on our brain. It's Christmas, it's Christmas. I'm like, good Lord, it's not Christmas. It's 3 a.m. Like go back to bed. It's too early. Anybody ever have any children like that? Yeah. Jumping out of bed. Now I have to go jump on their bed. It's Christmas. It's noon. Get out of bed. My butter tarts are ready. Somehow we lose the wonder. And, but most of us are waiting. We're waiting for something. Maybe not waiting for Christmas anymore because we know Christmas will come whether we wait or not. But as you get older, it's probably for something more serious than a new toy or my butter tarts or grandma's fudge. Some of us are waiting for the pieces of our family to get back together. Some of us are waiting and trying to figure out how we're ever going to get through college because it just doesn't seem to be working as well as we thought it would be. Some of us are waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Some of us are, can't wait to finish high school. If I do that, I will survive. I tell high school students, and there's one in particular I'm saying this to regularly, just, and I say to them every day that I see them, because on the campus here we have a wonderful school, Regent, I said, I say to them, I say, it's one day closer. And they look at me like, why don't you die, like, right now? <laughs> Until I begin to explain, every day you come here is another day closer to you leaving here. Right? One day closer to graduation. That's it. Some of us are waiting for our finances to change. Some of us are waiting for depression to break. Some of us are waiting for a loss that was unexpected or maybe even expected to heal. We live in an instant world, but so often life has this waiting. Waiting for our business to take off. Waiting for our, our young man or young woman to break free of addiction. Maybe waiting to be free of addiction yourself. Or waiting for God to come through in a way that we think that he should. The Bible talks about one of the wise writers in the Bible talked about that longing fulfilled is a tree of life. It's wonderful when things work out the way that you thought they should. Anybody else? Those are good days. When you get the right job, you get the promotion, you get that Christmas bonus, the present comes on Christmas morning, the family reconciliation comes. We don't mind the waiting when our anticipation is fulfilled the way that we thought it should be in the time that we thought it should be. But when 
What do you do when your anticipation is denied? When what you're waiting for gets delayed again. When you lose the wonder of what could be. When things don't work out the way that you thought they would or the speed that you thought they would, if God would consult you, he would know his timetable is a little slow. Can I get an amen, anybody? I think so. We sometimes feel that. It's easy to be expectant when you've never suffered. It's easy to be expectant when you've never walked through delay. What do you do when you feel like God pushed you away from the table? Or you wonder, I've never been at the table. Or when you feel like you're sitting at the table and someone forgot to bring the food. His friend on Facebook wrote this as his status the other day. He said that, I'm glad that Christmas only comes once a year. Lost the wonder. Not just of Christmas, but of life. Because that's what Christmas does, is it highlights what's good and makes it look really good. And it highlights, or lowlights, what's bad and makes it look really bad. And it's easy if you've never been fired, when you've never had hardship, when you've never had someone walk out on you. And we can find ourselves when that happens, existing, making it through, barely sliding along, disappointed some days, cynical others, and angry on still others. Joy failing, faith fainting, believing somehow that God is good for others. This morning we're going to look at how to keep your expectancy alive. How to keep your wonder. Maybe how to regain your wonder. Some perspective. That's what our story's about this morning. How to push through when all seems lost, when it's been long delayed. There's some characters in the story we just read about, uh, in the story around Jesus. Simeon is a really old man. Think of a, the oldest man you know. We're, maybe we should have a contest this morning. No, I'm not going to do that. It's this really old man who have been waiting. Been waiting for a while. We aren't told much about his details of his life other than that. He's waiting. Waiting. He was waiting and anticipating. He's old, but he's waiting. The word that is used for waiting in this case is, has the idea of looking with expectation for what was promised. It's kind of like, I was going to say like waiting for the bus, but they're always, seem, my kids say they're always late. But like when the bus is coming and you see people doing this, like we're thinking that when we do that, it's going to make it come faster. Like that. Or when someone honks the horn when you're at the light. Waiting with expectation that something will move. And then there's Anna. She's an old widow. And as a widow, of course, she suffered loss and she suffered grief. She knows what it is to have pain and to walk through loss and to not have things work out the way that she expected to. And she knew probably what it was like to cry herself to sleep at night and wonder how her life was going to be put back together. Yet somehow she too was looking, how was she looking? Forward. Anticipating. 
expecting. And most of us are terrible at waiting. Anybody else like that in the room? You really like, you don't like waiting. We want the waitress to hurry up. How long have I been waiting for my food? If I wait another five minutes, they are not getting a tip. You're so cheap already. They're like, you're going to go into minus land here pretty soon. I was not thinking of anybody in particular when I said that, but we live in this instant world. I found this new thing, and maybe like the young people are going to be like, you just found that now? TikTok, like, is it a real thing? Okay, you're going to show me how to do it after, okay? No, they're like, no, we're not. You are too old. You are too old. It's, a, it's another social media app, like we need another one. Uh, Snapchat, which, uh, whatever. FaceTime, microwaves, drive throughs cell phones. Oh, microwaves weren't fast enough. Let's get an Instapot. I was talking with someone this week about traffic challenges. They're like, I am such a good follower of Jesus until I get in traffic. I don't like waiting, and it all comes out. But I want to look at Simeon for a moment where he shows us some tremendous things about waiting, about anticipating, about expecting. It said that he had held out hope. He was holding on to a promise from God that he would not die until he saw the coming of the Messiah, until he had seen the way back to the table restored. So he was waiting, but he had not seen it yet. But he was looking, looking. Verse 26, there's one phrase that said, he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. I love that phrase, he would not die until he had seen the promise that God had given him. Sometimes that's the way you have to hang on. It's a posture that's a challenge to me or to anyone that has ever felt delayed in what you thought should happen. Anyone who's ever been disappointed or has been on a detour so long, you think it's a new road. It's also an encouragement. When, you, when you're delayed, when you're waiting, don't let hope die. Don't let your heart stop believing. Don't give in to cynicism. Don't let the promise and the dreams that God gave you be crushed by delay. Because when you're waiting, trust God's word to you more than the storm's around you because he was expectant and open to God when it was time in verse 27 it says this he was moved by the Holy Spirit or moved by the Spirit he went into the temple because when your expectancy keeps you open to possibility even if nothing's changing expectancy keeps you open to possibility. Something could change. This could be the day. This could be the moment. This could be the the time when things begin to shift for me. Expectancy keeps you open to possibility. Pessimism keeps you open to where you are or backwards. But expectancy keeps you open to possibility. And when you've been disappointed, the temptation is to withdraw to give up on a relationship, to give up on the college dream, to give up on your marriage, to give up on asking that friend who you've asked like 142 times to come to church, to withdraw from participating in the life that God has for you, to settle for where you are, to give up on praying, to give up on serving, to give up on your marriage, to give up. But Simeon moved. He walked out of delay and into his destiny. And it makes me wonder, what if, what if that day... He had decided, I'm not going. 
this is too hard. Like, oh, you're going to keep me alive until you come. Like, I've been waiting like 150 years. Or something. I don't know how old he was, but he'd been waiting, waiting, waiting. Like, hello, I'm staying home today. I'm not going in. It's too hard. He would have missed the promise that he had waited for all those years. It makes me think for you and me. What might you miss on? Hold on. If you quit now. And doesn't mean you quit. I'm not talking about attendance of church. Certainly that. But much more than that. What if you withdraw from what God's called you to do with all your heart? What if you stop believing that God could use you, that God wants to work through you, that God wants to see your family touched, that God wants to use you in a powerful way? What, what might you miss out on? Because when you're waiting, God's promises to you require a response from you. So Simeon had been given this incredible promise, but it says the Spirit came on him and then he moved. So living with expectancy, when God promises you something, you have to be ready to move in response to that. We have two couples that are moving in response to that, like literally moving to Princeton. Like you're like, where's Princeton? What's happening? We're planting a campus in Princeton, and some people in response to that are going to move. And it's all going to be easy every day. Keep moving with expectancy when God prompts you. And Simeon goes on because he's challenging. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep moving. Keep contending. Don't quit. Keep moving. This could be the day. This could be the year. This could be the moment. We don't, don't always know what God's doing in the middle of it all. And he says this, dismiss me in peace, God. In other words, I'm ready to die. For my eyes have seen your salvation. The light of revelation to the world has come. The light of salvation, Jesus. Hope has come. God's presence has come. God's come and he's brought light into darkness and the darkness can't overcome and cannot overcome it. But when you're waiting, see, some of you have been stumbling around in darkness of discouragement and despair and delay and disappointment for so long, you feel like you're a bat that you can see in the dark. But you've come to believe that this is all that you're ever going to know. When you're waiting, you never know what you might walk out of and walk right into something. See, some of us have that. We believe that. I might walk out of this, this situation I'm in, but we have this phrase, out of the frying pan, into the... And we always have a negative expectation. And we're going to talk about that at the end of all this, but here it is. What's on the other side of your... Yes, somebody needs to hear that you've walked into a moment in your life where the light is turning on. It had been dark for generations upon generations and no hope in the world. And people are like, will it ever change? And in one moment, everything began to change. It was like the light turned on. Hey, now I can do this. Maybe. 
the candle turned on, and once the light turned on, the Bible says the darkness could not overcome it in any way. And it was dark, but the light is turning on, and Jesus is bringing light into some dark places. And I felt this prophetically while I was preparing, that I'm going to be saying this, and some of, someone or someones are going to feel this in their heart, that the moment the light, that I begin to talk about this, something is going to begin to shift for you that you've been long contending for, a place that has been been long dark, a place that you did not know a way forward in it, a place where you said, I don't know how this is going to be fixed, but in this moment, somebody needs to grab a hold of it and say, God, that's me. I believe that you're turning something around right now, a dream that has been long locked up, forgotten, put away, and shoved under the bed is coming out into the light, and the light is going to overcome the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome the light in any way. Some dark night of the soul is coming to an end for some somebody this morning. Turn on the light, somebody. Because this morning, somebody, the light is turning on for you. The light is turning on for you. Somebody say, the light's turning on. Don't stop paying attention to what God is doing. Don't stop believing in the middle of the waiting. Be ready. Keep believing. Keep expectancy alive. Keep waiting. Get ready to move. Because it can happen in a moment when you've been stale and stalled for so long. And you keep your heart right. You keep your attitude right. You keep engaged in what God wants. And suddenly... Whoa, I never, this is the day. And Simon encourages the delayed ones, the disappointed ones, the discouraged ones. And then we have Anna. It seems like she was either married for seven years and then was a widow for 84. It depends, different translations put it different ways. Uh, was a widow until she was 84. Some feel she was a widow for 84 years. So she might be like uh, 100 or something. But anyway, she's old. 84 is not as old as it was when I was 17. <laughs> and she was a widow. And she's getting up there. And life had not always been easy. She had lost her husband. A young woman in that culture in that time was incredibly vulnerable because the husband was the security. Her dreams had been dashed. Loss, pain, brokenness. Never anticipated it coming. No one gets married thinking, oh, this is going to last seven years. No one gets married planning to get divorced. No one gets in any situation and plans for bad things to happen. There's no mention here of children or grandchildren. And on top of that loss, it seems like she's waiting. On top of that, she was old. In fact, it says she was very old. Some of you have experienced loss. Loss of a business, loss of family member, loss of a relationship, even this year. And some of you are waiting too. Some of you have some very old, everybody say very old. Very old promises that seem close to their expiry date. God, what is going on? And just because a dream seems past its expiry date, just because you can't see any way that God could make it turn around, make his promise come through, don't stop believing. Loss and waiting. 
It's easy to keep your head straight and your thoughts all organized well when everything works out like the Hallmark movie. <laughs> which all have the same. Never mind. This is getting me in trouble. Because when you're waiting, God's promises don't fail. But what do you do when your spouse walks out on you? What do you do when you fail that course that you desperately needed to pass? What do you do when the money doesn't come in, when the anxiety rises, when the loss mocks you? In the second half of verse 37, Anna gives us a clue. She never left the temple, but worshipped. The temple represented the presence of God. The table. She never left the table. I, I get that sometimes, because I've done this before, when you're discouraged, when you feel let down, when you're wondering where God is in the middle of it all, you might want to withdraw in anger and frustration or complacency and disappointment, frustration. But Anna shows us, and get in the presence of God. The time when you want to withdraw the most is the time to lean in the most. Don't withdraw. Don't back off. Don't hide. Don't run. Don't let what you're going through steal your expectancy for the future, your anticipation of what God could do, of what he is doing. When you've experienced loss and then you just wait, it's very easy to lose perspective. So when you're waiting, don't withdraw. Don't withdraw from worship. Don't withdraw from friendship. Don't withdraw from loving God's presence. The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. In other words, you begin to draw from a place that's deeper than what you're going through. And I don't say that tritely. I don't say that just flippantly. It's something that I've had to learn and try in my own life. And the Bible is true when it says, I will enter his gate, I will go into his presence with thanksgiving. One translation says the password is thanks. And you begin to get into the presence of God. A number of years ago when we were suddenly released or, uh, from a ministry position, we didn't understand it, we didn't like it. Within 60 days we had to move, we had lost most of our friends, our position. We determined that we were not going to let our outlook be poisoned by our loss. But that was challenged. It was over four years of detour, of loss, of tears, of challenges, of wondering, until God opened the next phase of our journey when we became the lead pastors of this church. And we learned that despite what we were going through, we could not put our faith in, our anticipation in, our situation or in people, or in things. It must be in God. And Anna and Simeon were both waiting. They were both invited to the table to meet Jesus that day. One old waiting person, someone who was lost, had experienced loss and pain, invited to the table. Day after day, they, maybe they had gone and nothing had changed. But then one ordinary day, as far as they were concerned, just another day, everything changed when they walked into a room and encountered what they had been waiting for. The table, they encountered Jesus, invited to the table. You might be one day 
away from your son or daughter entering the rehab facility finally. You might be one day away, or maybe it's this 2020, the miracle that you've been praying for. You might be one day away from a reconciliation that you thought was impossible. You might be one turn from a turnaround. You might miss the moment if you stop waiting and start wandering. So if you're waiting and you're wondering today, there's still a place at the table. If you're feeling discouraged and hurting, there's still room at the table. In fact, we're making room. If you feel like God has passed you by, he hasn't. There's still room at the table. In fact, it's a theme of the Bible writers. Uh, Paul, who was one of the early church fathers, he wrote to a church in ancient Rome. And if you've grown up in a church, you probably have heard this before, and we can sometimes make it trite, but it's, it's an incredible uh, game changer when you begin to understand it. It says, and we know in all things, everybody say, all things. All things. How many things? God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It means that in the good things, God's working. It means in the betrayal, God can still work. It doesn't say God caused them. It say no matter what you've been through, no matter if someone did it to you or it's because you did something stupid or because it's just life, you know what? It doesn't matter. It just This is what is important, that in everything, in all things, God is working for your good. You are not a victim of your circumstances. You are not a victim of your upbringing. You do not have to only say, well, that's what we, that's what our families uh, live to. Millers only go to here or whatever your name is. This is what we do. We've always been alcoholics. We've always been people in jail. We've always been, no, in God, all things are possible. And when I begin to set my life in God, all things will work together for my good. Oh, the disappointment, the pain, the betrayal, Trail, all things can be made to work together for my good and for God's glory. God is still working in the disappointment. None of it speaks to my future. God speaks to my future. None of it speaks to my future. God speaks to my future. That means that no matter what I've gone through, that there is a place at the table where God says, it doesn't matter. You pull up right now, son or daughter, that I'm going to make a way for you. You might be just a moment away from finding God in a new and a fresh way, if you will, but continue to wait with expectation. Continue to believe with a fresh perspective. Continue to believe that anything is possible because God said it. And it's not a trite thing to say that if God said it, I'm going to trust him to do it in his way. I'm going to trust him to do it in his time. I'm going to trust him to do it when I don't see it happening, when I've given up hope for it. But God, who is rich in mercy and abounding in love, is always working for my good that no matter what I'm walking through, he's walking through it for me. He's walking ahead of me. He's got my back. No matter what, come on, somebody. He's working. He's moving. Is there anybody else in the room that needs God to move in a fresh way in your life? Yes, Lord. Put my hand up for a moment. Wave at me. Let me know you're here. I don't want to just wait and have everything pass me by because I've been looking at what was or what I'm in right now and the bus goes by and you're chasing it.
How many of you have ever had that? It's one of the most terrible things. I missed the train. I missed the plane because I was reading the newspaper. I was not waiting with expectation. If you're at the bottom looking up, he's working. If you can't see how, he's working. If it's dark, he works the night shift. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. People may fail you. Your bank may be empty. You may not know how you're going to get out of it. But God, but God, I'm waiting. I'm looking forward. But here's the thing. If you truly believe that God is working all things, somebody say all things. Together for my good. I do not give in to the temptation. If God's working everything for my good, I do not give in to this temptation to get angry. Because why are we angry? Because someone hurt me, someone... God's working it out for my good. Doesn't mean it doesn't, but God's working it out for my good. I'm not going to let it poison my perspective. Don't need to get offended. What's offense about? Well, you didn't treat me how I should be treated. God's working that out for my good. Yeah, but I feel insulted. God's working that out for my good. Somebody ripped me off. God's working that out for my good. Don't need to stress me out. I'm losing my courage. Because of how difficult my situation is, God's working that out for your good. You're becoming bitter. You don't need to become bitter. Why? Because, why? God's working that out for my good. I don't need to complain about anything. Do you know venting is not a spiritual gift? In fact, it's the opposite of it. Complaining. The Bible says in everything, give thanks. Why? Because God is working it out for my good. Oh, I don't have to ever feel like I'm a victim of my situation or my upbringing or my background because even that mess, God is working it out for my good. But I got to get to the table. I can walk in joy and I can walk in peace and I can walk in expectation. But if I'm not, perhaps it's because I've been away from the table. Because the Bible says in Psalm 23, we quoted at funerals and all, that in the presence of my enemy, he's prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if everything is chaos around me. I come to the table. He's prepared a table and a place for me. There's a place for me. Yeah, but I'm battling. There's a place for me. Yeah, but I've been rejected. There's a place for me. Yeah, but uh, there's been some brokenness in my background. There's a place for me. Prepared at the table for me. Jesus has come, at, not just at Christmas, but he died, buried, and rose again. That I can be made new. That I can come to a place of reconciliation. That I can come to a place of peace. That I can come to a place of joy when I don't feel like I have any reason to be joyful. You know what Jesus never said? Come unto me, all you that are crushing it. All you that are living your best life, come to me. What he actually said, and these are the kind of people that come. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But here's the key. He's at the table. 
got a place ready for you. He says, come. You're over here. I'm like, I want to stay weary and heavy laden over here by myself. Oh, God, where? Why won't you? My life is a mess. Nothing's working out. I've been waiting for so long. You're not doing nothing. Hey, come on to me. Oh, yeah, but wait, I've got to just complain a little bit more because, or I'm going to be lost and I'm going to be discouraged and all that. And I'm not making light of it. I am not, I am not, I am not. I just know this, that when you turn and begin to hear the call of Jesus to come to the table, that he can do more than you can think or imagine. He's got a place of preparation for you where he can feed you food that you do not know of, where he can reconcile you and he can help you and he can minister to you in a way that you're unavailable for right now. But get it. Get it. There are times when you are weary. It's okay, come. Don't ridicule people who feel weary. There are times when you feel heavy laden. We're not putting anybody down or poison. Get your back together. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. No, no, no. Come to the table. Come to Jesus. Waiting. Looking forward. Come to the table. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Find rest for your souls at the table. Find peace for your souls at the table. Find strength for the weary at the table. He's working things out. In all things, God is working. Come to the table. Yeah, but it's I'm waiting over here, and I'm, I don't know what's happening. Come to the table. and Simeon show us how to never lose the wonder of the table. Never lose the wonder of the one who prepared the table, Jesus. Never stop believing that what seems lost today cannot be turned around by God. Never stop believing that there's a place for you at the table. Never stop believing that God is good and that he's working out things for your good. I invite you to stand real quick. To me, it's important that we respond to the Word of God. Trying to use an analogy to tell what's available for us. Uh, some I know in a room have no relationship with God to be able to say, I'm at the table. But Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. In other words, there's a response that we have to do. The first response is to surrender our lives to Jesus. To say, God, my sin has kept me from the table. In my own mess, I felt like there was no way I could come. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we had a big mess and we didn't have it figured out, he still died for us. So it's just as simple as saying, God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I believe that you came to die for me and paid the price for my sin. And I confess and surrender my life to you as the Lord of my life. I surrender my life. I just invite you to bow your head real quick. If you're in the room and you have never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, I'm 
going to ask you in a moment to just raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come down to the front, anything like that. We're just going to pray with you and pray for you. If you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life and you hear the call to come to the table to surrender your life, and say, that's me, Pastor. I want to do that. Just raise your hand and we're going to pray with you. Not going to embarrass you. Not going to call you out. It's your day. This, you might have came in here thinking it was just another ordinary day, but today, yes. See that hand in the back. This is your day where the light is turning on. Yes. Yes. The light is turning on. Not one more day. Come to the table. Not one more day away. Come to the table. Those three or four hands, yes, the back there. Family, I'm just going to invite us all to pray together with me. Repeat after me just a few short phrases as everybody join in. And those three or four hands that went up, this is a prayer. And if you pray this from the heart, the Bible says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we'll be saved. That God raised him from the dead. We'll be saved. So dear Jesus... I thank you for your invitation to the table. I surrender my life to you. I'm a sinner, but you're my Savior. Forgive my sin. Come into my life. Make me new. Make me new. Let this be the start of a brand new life. I surrender to you in Jesus name alright and just with every head up and every eye open I'm going to ask you to just in a moment to say I'm waiting I'm waiting and I want you to pray with me pastor I'm waiting for something I'm waiting for something I'm waiting for something I'm believing God for someone Just if there's anybody in the room just raise your hand if that's you we're going to pray look around you come on I'm waiting for something. I'm believing God for a turnaround. There's something I need to see shift. Could be in your life. It could be some family member. Could be somebody that you're believing God for. Could be a health issue. I don't know what it is. But I'm going to pray right now. And for some of you, the light is going to begin to turn on. A new day is starting right now. And I, I don't know who that was for earlier, but receive it now. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray, oh God, that as we, Lord, look to you, Jesus, that you would help us to wait and believe in faith. God, that you would help us to believe for what seems impossible today. God, that you would do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask, think, or even imagine. God, that you would see turnaround moments this Christmas season and through 2020. Lord, that we would see you do what the, is the impossible. Thank you for addiction being broken. Thank you for hope being released. Thank you for family members turning. Thank you for diseases breaking. Thank you for hope being released. Thank you for a city turning. Thank you for Princeton turning. Father, thank you that you're moving. Thank you that you're moving. Thank you that you're the provider. Thank you for fresh jobs, Lord Jesus. Thank you for breakthrough in families. Thank you, Lord. Begin to pray it out. Come on. Come on. Begin to thank God. God, thank you that you're moving. I'm not going to wait with my eyes looking backward. I'm going to wait looking forward. I'm believing that God is moving.